Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Guys, is it too late to say sorry for going to Brooklyn at 11 o'clock at night last yeah, night? what was up with that? And before that, you gave me some whiskey. Oh, you were like, oh here, my. try this McAllen's. But wasn't it great, though? It was, except for I don't really like Th- whiskey. There's some guy calling here, and he doesn't speak English, and I don't want to put him on a line because it's, I know it's the wrong number, but I don't think Are he wants to accept sure? that. Yes, he's called before and cursed at me afterwards. <laughs> oh, so, boy. yeah, this is one of the struggles of being an engineer, guys. But we are not here to talk about the guy who's on the phone calling right now because he probably wants to call me some... Word that starts with a B and ends with a A or I. I don't speak Spanish well. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I am here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. We are going to be talking about veteran neglect. We'll also be talking about the terror attack in Paris. If you want to call in with questions or concerns or to speak Spanish to me, then curse me because I won't put you on air because I don't know what you're saying. You can give us a call at 212-650-6903. If you have the internet and your AOL 2.0 has not expired like us, then you can tweet us at beheard underscore Radio. If you like Facebook, you can also leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous, which is Alyssa's fan page, and it has lots of people because they care about things and they want to say things. So, I want to kick this off with some actually very somber news. As many of you may know, there was a there was a terror attack in Paris this past Friday, mm. and. You know, I don't want to get into too much details because I'm sure, like, you guys have, like, seen it all over the news for the last two or three days. But they at least 120 people have died. Something probably closer to 200 people have 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 died with over 40 people who have been injured. ISIS has put out a statement claiming to have, like, taken credit for it. But, like, it's very clear what's happening now. Now Paris and France has closed their borders. We have the pundits over here saying we should close our borders. You had some people who are running for office on the Republican side saying that this is President Obama's fault because we have not shown strength in, um, in the Middle East against Iraq and ISIS. And all of a sudden, the drumbeats of war are beginning again. And this is not something that's just very new to us because if you watch the Republican debate earlier this week, we had um, we had Donald Trump and we also had Marco Rubio saying that they wanted to make the Syrian air a restricted airspace. And then Marco Rubio and then Brian Paul made a very interesting comment that I'll play for you guys a little bit later today where he said, listen, we can make that a restricted airspace, but that means if they go there, we have to shoot their planes down. And if that happens, you are saying you are willing to let your sons and daughters go to war. When they come back, what do we have for them? Mm. In the last couple of years, now, I'll, and I guess we'll start from since the Iraq War, which started in 2003, we haven't had much to offer them. And that war lasted for over 10 years, and it cost more than a trillion dollars, and we lost more lives if we can count over 2,000 American lives, over 100,000 Iraqi lives. If you want to count those, some people don't. And we're still there fighting that war, and our veterans are in America, and they are suffering more than ever. And if you don't believe me, just to give you some stats, black veterans, they make up about 11% of the military. They make up about 39% of the homelessness up there. Iraqi veterans, people who went to Iraq and did their fir- who did the first tours in 2003, 11 to 20% of them suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. 30% of soldiers develop some kind of mental issues three, three to four months with, with them coming home. 55% of women and 38% of men have reported being victims of sexual harassment or assault while they were in the military. And in 2010, an average of 22 veterans committed suicide every single day with the average age being 50 to 59. We have a serious problem with our veterans. So as we are all worried about our friends and family in Paris, and as we are all frustrated about what's going on in the Middle East with Iraq and with ISIS, and as some people start to beat the drumbeats of war, 
They want to send your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother, your friend, your neighbor to war. And if they somehow survive a war against people they've never seen with language they've never heard and problems they don't understand or probably don't even care about because it doesn't affect them, then they get to come back to an America which has a VA hospital that's falling apart and has a waiting list longer than the corner store on a Friday night when you're trying to get some Hennessy. Then they have veterans who cannot find jobs. Yes, one out of five veterans in the U.S. cannot find employment. And you have veterans who are very close to homelessness and don't have the treatment they need to make sure that they're okay. So today on this show, we're going to be talking about that veteran neglect. And I know Selena had her hand up and so did Alyssa. So, um, Selena, you want to go first? Well, yeah. You know what? I probably should have just interjected because you were giving um, a, a lot of news and a lot of that ba- a lot of feedback about what's been happening in Paris and I just wanted to add in something that's really important one of one group of people that is receiving um, a lot of backlash are refugees so and it's so ironic because they're fleeing war-torn countries to come to France and you know all of a sudden they're you know they're experiencing what they experienced back home and now they're becoming a target and I remember even a congressperson a US congressman tweeted like this is why we should to be letting in refugees over in um in Europe or here. Like so Stanley was absolutely right about shutting down our borders because I always wanted to add to the ridiculous comments and statements that we're hearing. Yeah, I mean, well, shutting down borders involves what even in France a logistical crisis. I mean, borders are not just you know, like land borders. I and mean, you yeah. have planes flying in that are coming into Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, so there's different types of borders and it's much harder to just say like let's shut down the borders but on the issue of refugees um before i transition back into the veterans um yeah you know these are refugees that are fleeing war-torn countries they're fleeing the very people uh, who are doing these attacks and yes there is a possibility that in all of those migrants and all of those i don't want to call them migrants actually because they're refugees they're not migrants um in those refugees sure could one or two people that are terrorists slip in as a way to get into one of these countries absolutely but i think it's also important to acknowledge that the majority of the refugees that are moving from these places are moving oh try and get away from these terrorists and that you know the few it's not like they're all coming in and they're all terrorists because that's that's definitely untrue. But to get back to the veterans issue, the comment I was actually going to make in what really appalls me is that we have all these veterans coming home from wars. They need jobs. They need health care. They need access to education, etc. Um, we have very little money for that, or at least the government says we do. But yet apparently the Department of Defense has money to pay sports teams to put on patriotic displays. And if that doesn't appall you, um, you know, I don't know what your sense of morality is because I think that, one, sports teams, if they want to have patriotic displays, and they should, they should just do it because it's the right thing to do. They shouldn't charge the DOD money, and the DOD shouldn't offer to pay the money. And two, that money really should be going towards actual helping vets who have PTSD, who have other issues. It should not be going to just flying flags and saying, oh, we support you at a football game. That's ridiculous. Alyssa, thank you so much for bringing that up. I was actually going to make that like my next point of reference. So the military is spending millions of dollars to let to like so, so that these sports stadiums and these teams can, quote unquote, honor these veterans. And 
now this is one of those things that's coming out at the moment because the military spends so much money on things that doesn't seem to make much sense, like the gas station that cost them $40 billion, where they were spending there, like... There's no gas to run from. Yes, and that they had like $500 per hammer. And guys, if you do want to call in and jump into this conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. But I want to use the frame of this conversation to ask the question of like, is it a case of us not having enough money in the military defense budget to take care of our veterans? Or are we just spending the money the wrong way? Well, it's interesting because the money that that's a budgetary issue right so the money that goes to the military active military DOD is separate from the money that gets funded for veterans affairs and stuff like that and so the military has a ton of money I mean two-thirds of the federal budget is made up of three things military Medicaid and Medicare so put Medicare and Medicaid aside for a second because we're not really talking about that issue today we're talking you know and military is making up a large portion of the federal budget however from what I understand the VA or veterans issues they come out of a separate discretionary budget that goes to the VA so that question is you know, it's hard to answer because the military has a ton of money, but that doesn't mean it's trickling down to the veterans. Right. That's what I was going to say. I think that a lot of it is mismanagement and just not putting enough emphasis on the importance of taking care of our veterans once they come back over. Because the thing is, we do have money in the budget and we do or we are always collecting our tax dollars and that goes to the government. But what are they spending it on and why does it take a big scandal? I mean, it wasn't too long ago we had that big scandal in the Veteran Affairs um, Department and it was fine. And that is what it took for veterans to finally get some health care. No, you're absolutely right, Selena. If you guys are wondering what big scandal you're talking about, so what happens is that there are hospitals that veterans can go to. We call them the VA clinics. And um, the waiting list to get treatment for these hospitals was so long that people were literally dying. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can make it to the hospital, the treatment is good, but there was not enough hospitals, they don't have enough resources, and they had an antiquated way of keeping track of all the names on there. So it was it was like as if they had a system. So Selena, Alyssa, and I had a debate party on Friday night, and we had people register for the debate party through this program online called Eventbrite. So we could just take their names automatically, and they were listed. We had over 200 people sign up for that debate party. Between the three of us, we cannot manage 200 people, the radio show, our personal lives, and work. So Eventbrite does that. But imagine if we were trying to get these people signed up by writing it on paper, and then we were all super unorganized. That's what the VA is doing with this waiting list, and people are dying because of it. So someone who needed a lung in two weeks has been waiting 15 years for it, and then the VA will call them like, hey, ready for that lung? But they've been dead for 12 years. Mm. But I don't want to take all the air out of the room, guys. We do have a caller on the line, one of our favorite people, Brother Omar. Please let your voice be heard. Yes, thank you, and thank you to your lovely uh, panel that you have every uh, Sunday, Brother Stanley. And uh, this is Omar calling from the Big Mango here in Harlem. You know, first of all, I'm totally against the war. Anything dealing with war is totally out of the question. And, you know, the sad part about this whole scenario in uh, uh, France, Viva la France, c'est très joli, c'est si bon, to all of our friends and relatives that we may have there, and we're all connected in the eyes of the Most High. Uh, the sad part about it is I was looking uh, at my Facebook you just had over 150 men, women, and children slaughtered in Kenya uh, at the same time that this pillage was going over in France, and no one has even mentioned that. 
I repeat, no one unless you're on the Facebook and you've seen it. So if we're going to go to war uh, over what's going over in France, then we have to go to war in Kenya and all these other places. And I said no. And the people who are crying out for war, not one congressman or, or senator has a son or a daughter that's serving in the arms, uh, um, armed services. And, and if I, I might I might be mistaken. Maybe there's one. Yeah, so there actually are a few now. It's always the people that are screaming and hollering for us to send our children and grandchildren uh, over to war and fight and die. And, and, you know, masters of war, as Bob Dylan said back in the 60s. And I, I'm, a, I'm a credit of the Vietnam War. I decided not to go to the war, but to serve my country in the Peace Corps. So we need more peace. We, we don't need war. These, these fanatics, these people are going to do this. this. This is unstoppable. Bush has opened up a Pandora's box, and they used that 9-11 uh, thing to, to, to disrupt that whole system over there in the Asian minor countries. And now the chickens are coming home to Russo. Um, Brother Omar, thank you so much for calling in with that comment. He just dropped a load of knowledge, and I wanted to take, um, I wanted to mention something in particular that he mentioned about an attack that was going on in Kenya almost simultaneously with in Paris or a little bit before Paris, but no one's bringing it up. And it just reminds me of, you know, what happens with Boko Haram and, and a lot of different things that happen in different countries in Africa. And it's like they just, they don't get that same type of that attention. That actually happened six months ago. Yeah, it was old. It was old, but there was a point why it was brought up. The point was to just show the difference in media coverage when something happens when 147. I mean, so yes, that is over six months old. However, I think the more salient point is the attack that happened in Beirut, which is this is you know people are used to hearing about attacks happening in the Middle East, and so they there was a big attack in Beirut, which happened the same day as the Paris attacks, and that kind of got overshadowed by the Paris attacks, Um, but. Stanley? No, no, and you know, and we don't, we're not saying like. So I sometimes get a little bothered when we, we have these like kind of conversations because I feel like some people are just. It's like it's almost like a competition to see who has the crappiest day or who has the most trouble. That's right. not what we're trying to do. Obviously, we're trying to show that like even within this, we still have problems within the media where we are not highlighting the issues of everyone. We are only spotlighting a few. Um, and a perfect example of that is of how the media's treatment of veterans. So there was a veteran who just received a Purple Heart on Friday. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And like we're all very proud of him and we all feel so great for him. But then what he mentioned was that the reason he got the Purple Heart was because he helped to like get, like get a suicide bomber out of proximity to hurt a lot of soldiers. He lost his leg. Four of his fellow soldiers died. Those families now don't have their sons, their husbands, their brothers there. And they get a Purple Heart, they get an American flag, and they get left dry. Because at, from that, after that, like, you don't get much support. Once, once their pension is over, sometimes they'll even try to cut, your, like, to cut the pay to say, oh, this person didn't do these hours, so we're not going to pay them for these hours. You know what it reminds me of? It's a, it's a crazy analogy, but you'll follow me. You ever see the movie Good, Goodfellas? Yeah. And you know when he goes to jail and, like, she doesn't have any money? Goodfellas is actually based on a true story, by the way. But, you know, there's a point in the movie where he goes to jail and she, like, doesn't have anything. And she basically talks about how once you you know, once you go away, like they cut off your whole family, right? And they don't help anybody out. And sort of that's similar to what Stanley is bringing up in that, you know, these soldiers die. And in some ways after that, like the families don't get the sort of support that they need. Sure, they're entitled to some support under the law in monetary, monetarily speaking, but that money 
like does not add up to the money that this person would have brought in potentially had they have lived and come back and had a job and right. been able to provide for their family. So it's pennies in comparison. It's not helping them. And then for those veterans that do survive, like the one that you just mentioned who got the Purple Heart and lost his leg, then they have to have access to health care, disability, educational benefits. And so a big thing that happened also this week in, with respect to veterans is that the White House and President Obama announced um, this new measure that is going to supposedly help military veterans gain easier access to these types of things. Um, and it's a way to push into the spotlights the administration's efforts to improve the way the government treats veterans after the scandal at the VA, which you already mentioned. Uh, so the president's actually going to urge Congress to improve a program that allows veterans to receive private medical care. Um, this will help them to speed up the appeals process for any disability claims. And the president is pushing Congress to pass legislation that is aimed at improving the quality of schools that serve veterans. Now, funny thing is, and this goes back to your beating the drumbeats of war and the thing that Brother Omar mentioned, which is Congress is very quick to beat the drumbeats of war and very quick to authorize the use of military force and send veterans into harm's way. But then when we need Congress to act to pass laws because, as you know, the president doesn't pass laws. President Obama can go down to Congress and say all he wants and say, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And then, I hate to say it, it's mostly Republicans are like, oh, we don't got the money for that. So, right. you know, it's it goes back to that line. I've mentioned it before on the show, but it's a Tupac line. He says we have money for war, but we can't feed the poor, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't feed the poor and we can't feed the veterans and we can't provide them with health care because – Money, 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 money for war. But when people come home, Republicans are like, nope, can't spend any money on that. Sorry. No, you're absolutely right, Alyssa. And it shouldn't be like that. I know we're going to break. Yeah, so guys, we do have to go on break. When we come back, we'll be talking. We'll be switching gears a little bit more, talking about some of the extreme comments that have been being made since the Paris attacks and what this means for America's soldiers and their veterans. We'll be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. Something, something, something. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. And we are talking about the veteran neglect in America. And if you just are listening now, but you want to make a comment because you have heard nothing, but you have a lot to say, our number is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. If you missed the first half of the show and you want to catch the rest of it later on, or catch the beginning later on, you can find it on Scatter Radio, or you can find us on iTunes, which is LYVBH Radio. You can listen to all of our pre-recorded shows on there. Guys, don't forget, we're on Twitter. Tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. So, as we were leaving the segment, we were talking about, leaving, leaving for a break, we were talking about the new initiative that the White House is putting out there, and we talked about the president cannot write, write and pass laws. Congress has to do that, but he can go there and say, hey, we should do this. Alyssa was telling us what he had in mind. And she has a few more details about that. Go ahead, Alyssa. Right. So, and the other thing that he can do is they can set goals for states to try and comply with. So one of the things that this plan did when they started to lay it out in 2010 was to try and end chronic homelessness because um, homelessness among vets is very, very high. And oftentimes what happens is when vets can't find housing, they end up in prison, which is something we're going to transition to talk about in just a few seconds. And I'm going to throw to Selena in a minute or two to discuss that issue. Um, but 
what these goals were was that we wanted to have no veterans sleeping on the streets and no more than 12,500 veterans in shelters or transitional housing. This past August, Connecticut became the first and the only state in the country that actually has achieved that milestone for veterans that are living in the confines of the borders. Uh, another part of this plan has to do with college because a big way to get veterans off the street is um, to provide them with low-cost education so they can transition the skills that they learned when they were in the military into skills that they need for civilian jobs. Um, and so the, this will... To, what this will do is it will provide recently transitioning veterans and their dependents with in-state tuition at public colleges and universities, uh, and this is in line with a provision in the $16 billion overhaul of the Department of VA that was passed by Congress last year after the scandal. So um, this will give that a uh, lot more veterans the option to seek out low-cost education and one of the main ways in which we can keep veterans off the streets and out of jail is through attacking problems of homelessness, health care, and, of course, education. And if you're wondering why we even need something like this, it's because of things like this. 1.5 million veterans are at risk of being homeless due to poverty, lack of support, lack of qualifications for jobs. As of the moment, 30.2% of veterans aged between the ages of 18 to 24 are unemployed. Nearly 1 in 10 veterans with disabilities were unemployed as of this moment, and we already know that we have over 40,000 Homeless veterans right now making up more than ten percent, making up more than pardon me eight percent of the total homeless level in America. Many who are suffering to, from PTSD, which is a big reason why there's a disproportionate number of veterans that are currently on death row. And for that, I'm actually going to throw to Selena, and she's going to give us some more details. Right. So the Death Penalty Information Center they released this report, I think, a day before Veterans Day or right around Veterans Day, revealing that, as Alyssa said, there's a disproportionate amount of veterans on death row right now. There are 300. And according to this advocacy group, the reason why there's so many veterans on death row is simply because the justice system, meaning judges, prosecutors, and juries are failing to take into account that these veterans have are suffering from mental trauma, PTSD, as well as other mental conditions. And what's happening is we're, we're sentencing them to death for heinous crimes. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. But the thing is, we owe our veterans at least a thorough examination of the grievances that they experience before we sentence them to death. No, absolutely. You were going to say something? Yeah, no, I was going to say I agree with you 110%, Selena. And most of these veterans didn't have these issues before they went to war. That's true. That's, absolutely that's, that's something true. that we would re- to be very cognizant of. Most, vet- most veterans start to develop these issues four to five months after they have returned home because of what they've seen while they've been on the ground, whether they were fighting or they were just somewhere where there was a high level of of violence. Alyssa? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, this is also, there's these things, I always say everything's connected to everything else because it's true, but this issue of, one, yes, the criminal justice system um, is not taking into this mitigating factor into account, and it should. And as you point out, some of these crimes are actually heinous. But if you're proceeding from the proposition that some of these heinous crimes have been committed due to the fact that these veterans are suffering from PTSD, then you can say, had you have put money towards health care and provided proper health care from the beginning in order to deal with the PTSD and get these veterans the counseling that they need, then maybe they wouldn't have committed these horrible and heinous crimes to begin with because they would have had the proper treatment to deal with the PTSD. But it was never dealt with. And because it was never dealt with, they ended up going on to commit a heinous crime. Now, with the criminal justice system, we have to figure out whether we should, and I think we should, 
should, and I think a lot of people will agree, take this into account as a mitigating factor before we sentence a veteran to death and put them on death row. Well, guys, I, w- I actually want to take things in another direction, throw a bit of a curveball. Something says I throw curveballs. I like that. I like that phrase. Um, we all know what happened in Paris. We all know what's been going on with ISIS. Do you think, like, with the information that we received on Friday, that we really need to, like, so what's the word I'm looking for? To muscle up and go back to the Middle East and really start supporting Paris. And if so, what can we do now? to protect us from having so many people coming back and not having the support they need. Selena? Well, there's been a lot of calls for NATO to step up. There's also been a lot of calls for the U.S. to ally with our partners in Europe and across the um, across the world, and even in a lot of Arab nations who are fighting against ISIS. The thing is, something does need to be done when it comes to this terrorist group, because they are growing. They're growing in numbers, they're growing in power, and they're committing these acts of terror all over the world, especially on westernized, civil, um, westernized countries. So I think that while I'm the biggest person to say, no, let's not fight, let's not go to war, and let's always first see if we can find some diplomatic approaches to things, which we actually did with the Iran nuclear um, deal not too long ago. Um, We took a diplomatic approach to that. But the thing is, it's... Something does need to be done, and I don't, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn, because the thing is, I don't want our troops to go back over there, but the thing is, something does need to be done, and if NATO was calling on the U.S. to bring troops over there and to send some type of military support, whether that's financially or whether that's just troops on the ground, then, I mean, I think a lot of the country is going to back it because they see what's going on. But I want to push back just a little bit. So, I, I understand that point of view of it, but like, so what do we do to make sure that these future veterans don't come back with nothing? Mm. Well, I mean, that's the point. And that's the conversation that we're having today. The thing is, what needs to be done is we need to make sure our resources are actively being um, put in these places that will help them. Like Obama just um, came up with this proposal to help the, the homeless veterans, to also help them get access to health care. I think that if we just spend some more time and emphasis and us as people made sure that our elected officials know that this is important to us and that we're advocating on their behalf, then... Th- Basically, the situation and these issues will have more light, and then we'll see more people acting on it. Well, you know, first, I think we have to start from the proposition that, you know, we had a hand in creating this situation to begin with. Yep. Now, we've already done a show on that. So if you want to check out that show, it was a great episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. It was, we asked the question whether or not George W. Bush created ISIS. It was a great show. It's in our archives. We're not going to rehash that right now. But first, we have to look at ourselves and say, do we take responsibility for potentially creating this problem to begin with? Okay, yes. Once we get beyond that point. Then we have to proceed from the point that we're actually already in the Middle East. We don't have a large-scale number of troops there like we did when we were in Iraq um, back in 2003, but we already do have troops there. There are boots on the ground whether they're there in advisory roles or they're doing, you know, the SEALs or the Rangers doing covert operations. We already have military on the ground. So the question is not do we want to send the military into the Middle East? The question is how many more troops are we sending into the Middle East? Right? And then after we proceed past that point and say, okay, we're going to send this number of troops, if we are going to send any, to support a NATO coalition or on our own, then we have to think to ourselves, how well, you know, these people are going to come home as veterans. And then the question needs to become, before we send any more troops, are we able to support them when they come home? Are we willing to spend the money to make sure they have the health care, they have access to jobs, they have access to education? Because if we're not going to be willing to spend the money on the back end, then it, you know, we can't sit here and we can say, yeah, the world's unsafe and yeah, we, we feel like there should be a military solution. But at the end of the day, the world is unsafe if we are not going to support our veterans when they come home because, you know, then we have 
people with PTSD running around the United States and potentially, you know, shooting places up. I mean, yep. uh, uh, you know, without getting into a debate about, you know, the the sniper, but right. he was killed. Chris Kyle was killed by another veteran with PTSD right here on home soil after he got home. So that's the thing is, yes, we need to look at the world. We need to look at the conflicts and decide whether or not we want to get involved in it another conflict to fix everything that we screwed up to begin with when George W. Bush was president. But at the same time, if we're not willing to commit the funds for when the troops come home, then we really have to have a serious look at ourselves and a conversation about whether or not that's something we should be doing. It's definitely twofold. And I just wanted to add in there, not to take away from your point, but most troops and most people that suffer from PTSD do not commit any type of criminal activity or any type of heinous crime. But again, there are the people that do, and that's the ones that need to be addressed. So I just wanted to add to that. But no, Alyssa, you're absolutely right, and I just want—I know we're going to talk about the dem debate, the dem debate a little later. But one of the main points that came up where Bernie Sanders pushed back on Hillary Clinton was her vote in Iraq and in her vote to go to war in Iraq. And what he did was he tied it all in, and he was talking about, well, if we never went into Iraq, then we wouldn't have gave ISIS this room and this vacuum to just fill in and to basically um, build up their power. So, like Alyssa said, it is rooted back into our actions and into the decisions that was made under the Bush administration. No, Selena, you are absolutely right. And I, I, I want to make sure I still play this comment that I was talking about that Rand Paul made at the debate, because as we are all very upset about what's happened, what's happened in Paris, what's happening in Africa, what's happening in the Middle East, and we're all getting ready to to say let's go to war we really need to be mindful of like what that actually means and as we all know i'm not the best the biggest Rand paul fan but, but a, like a I, broken clock is still right twice a day yes it is so here are with Rand paul said, sir, that that would be a mistake in not talking to Vladimir Putin or to rule it out. You've argued that, that, that it's never a good idea to close down communication. With that in mind, do you think the same applies to administration efforts right now to include the Iranians in talks on Syria? I'd like first to respond to the accusation. We should, I think it's particularly naive and particularly foolish to think that we're not going to talk to Russia. The idea of a no-fly zone, realize that this is also something Hillary Clinton agrees with several on our side with. You're asking for a no-fly zone in an area in which Russia already flies. Russia flies in that zone at the invitation of Iraq. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you better know at least what we're getting into. So when you think it's going to be a good idea to have a no-fly zone of Iraq, realize that means you are saying we are going to shoot down Russian planes. If you're ready for that, Be ready to send your sons and daughters to another war in Iraq. I don't want to see that happen. I think the first war in Iraq was a mistake. You can be strong. That was Rand Paul talking at the last Republican presidential debate that happened earlier this week. He was saying that he thought the war in Iraq was a mistake in the first place. He was saying he does not want a no-fly zone in Syria because, you know what, Russia will go through that no-fly zone. We will have to shoot down their plane, and Russia will respond. And guess this, what? Russia has nukes. Yes, they do. And that is an entirely different like bag of mess that you absolutely do not want. It's like getting into a fist fight with a drunk homeless guy on a train at 2 in the morning. You are not going to win. But I I digress, guys. We have to close out this segment, and I really just want to leave you with something to think about as you sit at home and you drink your coffee or you're getting ready to go to church, or maybe you just got back from church and you're just tuning in. We lost a 100-plus lives on Friday in Paris, France, from a terrorist attack. We've lost 
since Iraq war, over 4,000 lives, American lives, most of them active duty people. But then also we've lost countless other lives of veterans, whether it was because of suicide, whether because they were arrested and put in prison, whether because they are homeless now and they're that drunk guy that I was just talking about that you're ignoring on a train, whether it's because they just can't find work and they feel small and they have no other options. We have countless veterans who need our help or maybe it's too late to get our help that we are ignoring. We have women veterans who were raped, who were maybe sexually assaulted or sexually harassed while they were out there protecting our country and now they come back to to American soil and they're having their reproductive rights attempted to be taken away from them. They cannot find work. They need health insurance. They need health care. They cannot get to a hospital. They cannot get the kind of medicine or the treatment that they need. Meanwhile, we are here on the show pontificating about politics and a bunch of you on Facebook right now pontificating about an attack that happened in Paris or trying to show people how woke and aware you are because you know what happened in Kenya and our veterans still need our help. If we are to be as great of a country as we claim to be, if we care about these things as much as we say we care, as much as we think or we say that we care, we have to make sure that we take care of the very people who put every single thing on a line for for us. Because you know what? The only time you take care of a veteran that you're nice to a veteran shouldn't be on Veterans Day because you happen to have a day off and you're at brunch and you saw that one woman in the suit. It should be every single day. And we have to make sure our elected officials do the same. Because if they don't, then they need to be the ones that suffer the consequences. We'll be right back, guys. When we return, we'll be talking about the news roundup, the dumb debate, and all sorts of ratchetry. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard.